Well, there are several vivid memories I have as a young child, some for, for unexplained reasons. They just stuck up there for some reason that I remember, random things from childhood, but, but other things for good reason. You, you can understand why certain things have, have, have stuck out to me uh, that have his, you know, certain events with historical significance and, and, and certain things that happened that stuck out for good reason. One memory was uh, in a church I grew up in. At this church, we had Sunday morning, Sunday night service. And uh, Sunday morning was, was like we do Sunday mornings here, song service. And then a sermon Sunday night was similar, but at times on Sunday nights, they would uh, reserve that time for special events, musical guests. Uh, we would also have uh, kids plays and, and youth programs, things like that, and, and guest speakers. And one night we had a guest speaker, but before that guest speaker spoke, a, a woman got up and shared her testimony. She was invited to share her testimony. And I remember it vividly because of what she shared about her life. This woman had a horrific childhood. She was uh, abused in every way imaginable by her, by her father and other relatives. She was later promiscuous in her teens, ended up getting pregnant at 16, had an abortion, got involved in drugs and prostitution. It was just a horrific story that, that just stuck out to me. It made a huge impression on me hearing it at the time. Never forget it. Her story, while extremely tragic, ended in a glorious way with her salvation. Now imagine that woman's story without that glorious ending and you would have the end of the book of Judges, okay? There's, there's a little glimpse there of, of God's faithfulness toward the end in the last lines, but for the most part, it's very, very dark. If you have your Bibles, turn to Judges 17. We are continuing our study through the book, and as we finish up this study, we will cover some of the darkest chapters in the book and and in the Bible. These chapters are so dark and difficult that many, when preaching through the book of Judges, they stop after Samson's story. Or most people, if they cover the rest of the book, they summarize five chapters in one sermon very quickly. Well, I'm just still young enough and brave enough to spend five sermons. On those five chapters, we have committed to preach this book chapter by chapter, verse by verse. So we can't just pass over these verses lightly. Five chapters are given to, to, this, this, uh, to this stories, these stories we're going to look at. While in one sense, the story of the different judges ends with the last judge, Samson, that ends the story of the judges. The story in Judges continues on. Five more chapters. Let's look at the outline again quickly to see where we are in the story. We saw that we have a, had a, a two-part introduction in the book of Judges. First, we have the problems with partial obedience. God told them to drive the Canaanites from the land, right? 
chase them out of the land. He was going to do it through them. He told them that. And we learned that they partially obeyed. And we talked about how partial obedience is complete disobedience. They, they push some out of the land, but they allow some to remain. And they make exceptions as well. And those pagan people allowed to remain in the land, they cause God's people problems in the promised land. We have the results from partial obedience because they're allowed to remain. God's people are influenced by those wicked nations and, and they, they go after their idols and go after their lifestyle. And as a result of that sin, God gives them over to that. They're enslaved by those things, right? Sin enslaves us. We've talked about that. But we also see the grace of God throughout the book of Judges in that while he punishes them for their wickedness, he also sends them saviors. He sends them judges. And we've looked at, at all of the judges in Judges. Othniel, Ehud, Shamgar, Deborah, Barak, Gideon, Abimelech, Jephthah, Samson, along with others. Well, to end, the author of Judges goes from this, this aerial view of the situation at this time to a more detailed view of the state of things in Israel at this time. So the narrative is going to slow down and the author is going to give a close-up look at what's going on. To this point, all we have heard is how God's people did evil in the eyes of the Lord and have been given a few details. In Judges 17-21, through 21, we get a front row seat to it. We get an up-close, ground-level look into what that statement means. And let me warn you, it is not pretty. We are going to take a closer, more detailed look at the religious and moral decline of God's people during this dark and difficult time. We are going to see God's people mirror the Canaanites in their beliefs and practices, attitudes, and actions. In chapters 17 through 18, we will witness disorder and decline on an individual level, on a family level, on a religious level, and on a societal level. And then we will see in, in chapters 19 through 20, moral chaos and complete societal collapse. That's what you have to look forward to. That's why a lot of people skip it, right? Let me just summarize this. Now we're going to camp out because there's lessons for us to learn here. Praise be to God, the story doesn't end there. We can, of course, should always read the Old Testament with New Testament eyes. That includes the book of Judges. In light of the finished work of Jesus Christ, we will certainly do that this week and in the weeks to come as well. Now, how many of you can complete this statement for me? Just when you thought things could not get any worse, what? They absolutely do. We learn that is true for God's people in Judges 17. While it appears as if God's people have hit rock bottom during Samson's life and ministry, it turns out rock bottom has a basement. For the next several weeks, we're going to take a stroll on the basement floor of rock bottom as we look at the end of the book of Judges. We are going to witness this society of God's people collapse and what lessons we learn 
from their societal collapse. What brings about the downfall of this society? We learn in Judges 17 and 18, it's individual evil. It's evil in the family. It's evil in the religious community. And it's evil in society as a whole. First, it's the evil that individuals do that bring about the downfall of society. Let's look, point number one, the evils in individuals. Look at verse 17. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. Now, this is not the prophet Micah. This is another Micah. This is much earlier in, than the time of the minor prophets, okay? Just to let you know that. Micah here, this Micah, he's just an average everyday guy. Well, how are things going with Micah? We have already witnessed the fact that, that things are morally in the dumpster all around him in the book of Judges at this time. What's the story with Micah? What's going to be his story? Sadly, Micah is going to make everything much worse. As many of you know, there are two paths to take in life. One is the path the Lord has paid for us. The, the other is to do what we think is right and live for the kingdom of self and go the way of the world. One can make our life and the lives of those around us much better or worse depending upon which path is taken. Micah is going to make things worse. And let me just pause there for a minute and ask you, what is going to be your story? Are you, by the grace of God, going to make things better or worse in this broken and fallen and sin-stained world in which you live? Are you going to repent of sin? Are you going to walk with Christ? Are you going to know Him personally and make Him known publicly? Or are you going to go the way of the world and make things worse? Micah makes things worse. Don't be a Micah. There you go. Simple application right there, right? It's not always complicated. Don't be a Micah. He makes things worse within his family and with, with the spiritual connections he has and in society. Here's a great principle here. Listen, when you sin, you never sin all alone on an island by yourself. That's a great lie that we tell us. Oh, it's just affecting me and no one else. It's a lie. When you sin, you sin in the context of family, in the context of your, your religious family, your, your Christian family, right? And in the context of community. It affects those around you, those closest to you, those connected to you, and others. Micah is just an average guy, but he's given a lot of verses here to show us how an individual, average Joe can negatively affect tons of people. Lots of lessons to learn from Micah. Let's look at his story. Judges 17, beginning in verse 1. There was a man of the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Micah. And he said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver, that's a lot of money by the way, this is a wealthy family. The 1,100 pieces of silver that were taken from you, about which you uttered a curse, also spoke it in my ears. Behold, the silver is with me. I took it. Micah is a thief. And not just any kind of thief. He didn't just rob from some stranger on the street, but from his poor little old mom. He stole from his mother. Now, 
Some hear that and they say, yeah, but he, he confesses his sin here. Yeah, because his mother uttered a curse against the one who had taken it. She didn't know it was her son. She uttered a curse from the one who stole from her. Micah doesn't want any part of being a part of that curse, right? So he said, hey, I took it. I took it, right? Micah's about Micah. He doesn't, he doesn't confess this out of, out of a brokenness over sin, but to save his own neck. Micah was a taker. Are you a taker or are you a giver? Micah was a taker. He did not care who he hurt as long as it benefited Micah. Listen, no family, no society, no church can stand if everyone takes and no one gives. If there are only consumers and zero contributors. It's one of the reasons God talks about giving and, and humble and selfless service in his word. Obviously, by doing that, we shine the light of, of the gospel, right? And people see our good works and give glory to our Father in heaven. But it also benefits society as a whole. Society has benefited from the service of the Christian community. I tell people all the time that when they become a part of this church, I pray that while this church will be a blessing to them, that they will be a blessing to the church because the church benefits when you serve, right? You're to receive, yes, but you're also to give. What are you taking from family, friends, church, and society versus what you are giving? You want to benefit your family and your church and the world. You must give of yourself to them. That doesn't mean you cannot receive gifts from others. You can, but you should also be spent, poured out for the cause of Christ and the benefit of others. Micah was not a giver. He was a, a taker. Micah was also not broken, nor was he repentant. He was entitled and selfish. He took the money without remorse, gave it back to avoid consequences. He never repented. He was not broken over what he had done. He was simply trying to save himself. What on earth is wrong with Micah? Kid's a mess, isn't he? Well, we will learn in our next point that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. While he is individually responsible, he has been clearly influenced by those around him. Those in his household. We see that when we keep reading. Parents, listen. What you value, the way you live your life, how you parent, influences generations to come. Society will either benefit or suffer by the way in which you parent. Do you realize that? Do you know who said that? God said that. We read about it today. Psalm 78. He tells parents to teach the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and His might and the wonders that He has done that the next generation might know them, the children yet unborn, and arise to tell them to their children so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments. What you say and do as a parent the way you shepherd, it matters. It absolutely does. You're leading them whether you want to or not. 
Parents, you are family shepherds. You are leaders whether you want to lead or not. There's nothing you can do about that. You'll either lead poorly or you will lead in a way that glorifies God, but you will lead. Nothing you can do about that. You have influence. And the way in which you parent is going to either positively or negatively affect generations to come. Children yet unborn. Micah's mother messed up with her son. We, we learn here behind the evils Micah does here are the evils within his family. We have looked at the evils in individuals. Now let's look at the evils in family that can also bring about the downfall of society. Now I know there are some who go astray, who are raised. I'm not saying that, but I'm saying putting forth every effort, right? I know it's a proverb. It's not a promise to raise your child up in the way he or she should go so that when they're old, they will not depart from it. But it's the wisest path to take toward that end. Are you doing that? We will see that evils in family bring about evils in individuals, which bring about the downfall of society. Look at verse 2. And Micah's mother said, Blessed be my son by the Lord. Now that sounds nice, doesn't it? She even uses the covenant name of God here, Yahweh. While she calls upon the right God, she follows with the wrong activity. Micah stole from her, then he returns it to avoid the consequences of his sin, but he does not repent. The way his mother should have responded was with discipline and gospel communication. Micah receives none of that here. Instead, he receives a response of blessing. No wonder Micah is the way that he is. There are no consequences for his action. His mother is soft on sin. Parents, when you do not discipline those in your home, you are showing you're basically okay with it. You're okay with them disobeying you, which is disobeying God because God tells them to obey you, right? That warps the way a child views personal sinfulness and the evils in the world. You're to be instilling in your children and grandchildren the seriousness of sin and its consequences because God is a just God who punishes sin. The only escape from God's judgment is if one has a knowledge of sin and a brokenness over sin and a desire to be free from the penalty of sin. Micah has, has none of that here. Notice what else is wrong with Micah's mother. She herself lacks a right view of God. She views God as an idol of little value to be manipulated, to do her bidding. We must have a right view of God so that we can instill that in our children, right? And grandchildren. Look at verse 3. And he restored the 1,100 pieces of silver to his mother. And his mother said, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son. Now that sounds good, doesn't it? Here's the problem. She says, I dedicate the silver to the Lord from my hand for my son to make a carved image and a metal image. You're like, what? Yeah. Therefore, now therefore I will restore it to you. So when he restored the money to his mother, his mother took 200 pieces of silver. Remember, she has 1,100. She gives 200 to the Lord. I guess that's her tithe from that money. And she only took 200 pieces of silver, and with it, she gave it to a silversmith who made it into a carved image and a metal image. We see now why Micah is the way that he is, right? Well, of course, he's responsible, right? 
but, but he has seen this practice as well. He's a lawbreaker, so is his mother. He, he broke number five, honor your father and mother. Number eight, thou shalt not steal. And he sees from his own mother a violation of the first two commandments, a breaking of those first two. Thou shalt have no other gods before me and not make unto thee any graven image. A little King James for you there. Okay. They're, law, they're, they're lawbreakers. She has raised her son to just show a disregard toward the commands of God. Again, parents, grandparents, what do your kids and grandkids see from you? Do they see a love for God and a love for his law or a disdain for it by the way in which you live your life? Notice how messed up things have become in this household. I mean, this is just a dysfunctional house here. Micah's mother blesses her unrepentant son and shows gratitude toward the one true and living God by breaking his commandments and leading her family in idol worship. It's a mess. It's a mess. She also doesn't really value God like she should. She keeps back 900 pieces of silver for herself. Just giving lip service to God, she doesn't truly value him. I pray that not be how you conduct yourselves in the home. Don't ask yourself, like we talked about at the beginning of service, what do my words reveal, but rather, what do my actions show, right? Micah's mother had an opportunity to influence her son in a godly way, and instead she does the opposite. And notice the evil influence she has on him. Look at the end of verse 4. And the idol was in the house of Micah. And the man Micah had a shrine. And he made an ephod and household gods and ordained one of his sons who became his priest. So we see the wicked influence of Micah's mother and the wicked influence of Micah and that, what that influence has on his son as well. It just continues on. His mother was a false worshiper. So was he. So was his son. And, and so on. Again, parents, grandparents, you're influencing your kids and your grandkids, whether you like it or not. How are you influencing them? Micah's mother made idols for worship. Micah had a shrine in his house. He had an ephod. That was a, a garment to be worn by the high priest in the holiest place in the tabernacle. It was a reminder of God's special presence and favor with his people. Micah set up his home like this. He set up his home like a tabernacle. And he had household priests, made one of his sons, a non-Levite, a priest. What on earth are they doing? While this is the time before the temple, the tabernacle had been, had been erected, right? Where God's people were to gather collectively. There were also to be reliant on the sons of Aaron from the tribe of Levi to offer sacrifices on behalf of God's people. They had been established that had all been established, that sacrificial system, generations prior. Why does it seem like Micah and his mother are just making up their own rules for worship? Because they are. They absolutely are. The author of Judges gives us the reason for this godless activity. We're going to see this line repeated throughout the end of the book. Look at verse 6. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. 
There it is. That's what they're doing. There's not a better summary statement of the way God's people, Israel, conducted themselves in the period of the judges. At this time, there was no king, and they instead lived as if they were the king, and they did whatever seemed right to them. Now, does that sound familiar? You see why we need to camp out at the end of Judges? We're just like they are in our society. Same problems today. They just made up their own rules for worshiping God. All that matters is that we worship Him, right? We, don't, we can make up our own rules as to how we do it. Our truth for the week. In our study guide, be sure and be doing that. Monday through Friday, you have it in your bulletin. Listen to this. When there is no godly leadership and people fail to consult God on what he said in his word and on, on, on what they should think and how they should believe and how they should live, when people do what they think is right, they fail to worship God the way he has prescribed and they fail to bring him glory with their lives. That's how many so-called Christians live their lives in our world today. There are many, like Micah and his mother, some who, who have been in our midst in other churches like us, trying to worship the right God in the wrong way. For example, there are some who, who, who say, you know, while God has clearly said in his word that we're to be meeting together corporately, that we're not to neglect meeting together as is the habit of some, some say, nah, Pass on that. Pass on the church. I'm just going to be the church myself. I'll worship in my office alone, in my car alone. I'll worship at home while I watch TV or on the golf course. Whatever. That's what I prefer for worship. It's right for me, therefore it's right, period. Sound like Micah and his mother. That's where this household is. Trying to worship the right God in the wrong way. God cares about our worship and that we do worship. He cares about the way in which we worship Him. He cares about how we approach Him in worship. He has told us clearly in His Word how worship should be. There are some who argue that while it's important that we worship, it's not necessarily important how we do it. Just, just believe in God. Come to Him any way you please. If you're sincere about it, if it feels right, it must be good. That's how many in our culture respond today. What you find in Scripture is that God has gone to great lengths to stress the fact that there is a right and wrong way to approach Him in worship. We are saying the wrong way here, and it is going to affect others. We, we have seen how the, the wicked individuals in this family negatively influence one another in the home. And next week, we are going to learn how they influence a godless leader. He's godless as well. They have influence on him, but he's not doing great either. And, and then it will spill over to an entire group of people. God cares about the way in which we approach Him in worship, folks. He established 
an entire sacrificial system with priests and sacrifices, a tabernacle and later a temple with strict rules on how his people were to approach him in worship and the way in which to do it. This system and these sacrifices and these places God established for worship in the Old Testament, they serve as a picture for us of the work that he sent his son to accomplish on our behalf. God sent his son to act as our great high priest and to lay his life down as our substitute and perfect sacrifice so that we, through faith alone in him alone, could be forgiven and restored to God. That is the only way to be a true worshiper of God. That is the only way for our worship to be pleasing to him. We must come with empty hands and fall before the king of glory and give our hearts and lives over to the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way for us to enter into the presence of God. The only way for us to be worthy to enter into his presence and offer worship that is pleasing to him is through his son, Jesus Christ. God's grace alone, through our faith alone, and his son, Jesus Christ alone. The only way. Are you a genuine worshiper of the one true and living God? Have you forsaken your sin? Have you placed your faith and trust in Christ alone for your salvation? If not, I invite you to today. Forsake your way. Forsake going at life on your own. Doing what's right in your own eyes. And turn from that way and go the way of the Lord. Go through the way, the truth, and the life, the Lord Jesus Christ. Place your faith and trust in Him alone and be saved. Let's pray.